Chapter Eight of A Gringo in Manana Land by Harry L. Foster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: The Mexican Capital, Part Two, Seven. Carranza not proving very prompt in answering his correspondence, we amused ourselves with a visit to the ancient pyramids of San Juan Teotihuacan, remnants of what had been a mighty empire before the conquest distant some twenty-eight miles from the capital a leisurely train carried us there in something over an hour and a half we descended at the station expecting to be pounced upon by a dozen professional guides but none molested us little barefoot children with spurious relics were our only assailants we looked about for a conveyance and discovered the tunerville trolley an individual asleep inside acknowledged that he was the conductor he proved also to be the motorman for having collected our fare he aroused the mule and the car jogged slowly away with swaying gait through lanes of cactus toward the squatty figures of two pyramids deceitfully small with distance and dwarfed by the mountains behind them but at length the cactus hedge ceased and upon our right appeared the ruins of a temple the temple of quetzalcoatl a big square surrounded by heavy ramparts of earth and stone wherein a group of workmen were restoring a wall lined with monster demon heads and gargoyles carved of solid rock and a few minutes later we were at the foot of the pyramids no longer small and dwarfed but looming skyward above us pyramids which if less imposing in stature than those of egypt excelled them in the dimensions of their base and may even antedate them according to the estimates of some archaeologists by possibly a thousand or two thousand years speculation as to just how old they really are has kept many a scientist out of worse mischief but seems to have accomplished little else thanks to the demolition by the fanatical spaniards of the heathen writings they found in the americas practically nothing is known of their origin it is believed that they antedate the toltecs and that they testify to the existence of an ancient race in mexico long since vanished to who knows where that once surpassed in engineering skill and presumably in civilization the early peoples of the other hemisphere so little had we read of them and so free did they appear from exploitation as a tourist site that eustace and i experienced almost the joy of personal discovery but it was soon rudely shattered for up drove an automobile from mexico city's leading hotel and out stepped two other americans they were recognizable immediately as rotarians they were both good fellows they had met at the regis and in talking over business had discovered that both by profession were realtors they had found a mutual bond of interest in the fact that mexico city although it was a better burg than they had anticipated had a less up-to-date garbage disposal system than long branch new jersey or newburyport massachusetts they were now having a whale of a time kidding the guide good-naturedly about the shortcomings of his country and were getting to like each other better every minute next week upon their return home each would tell his friends about the good scout he bumped into down in mexico and would exclaim it beats all how you meet people the world's a pretty small place after all and at christmas each would send the other a card playfully addressed senor so that's what you brought us out here to see said the man from long branch 
the other drew out a guide-book and read the pyramid of the sun tonatui ezekiel damn this language anyhow a truncated artificial mound two hundred and sixteen feet high by about seven hundred and twenty one and seven hundred and sixty one feet at the base divided into five pyramidal sections or terraces which narrow as they ascend now that we've seen that where do we eat we left them below while we started up the long flight of stone steps that led up the five terraces of the larger pyramid the sun it had been partially restored and its surface of many-coloured rocks each the size of a domesticated cobblestone originally held together with adobe now gleamed white with portland cement upon its lofty top covered to-day by a flat rock there had once been a gigantic statue of the sun cut from a block of porphyry and ornamented with gold and here the aztec priests had probably plunged their arms into many a victim's breast to draw out a beating heart and toss the body of the sacrifice down the steep rocky sides to the wasteland beneath it was very quiet now with the restful calm that one finds only upon a mountain-top one could look down upon miles and miles of rolling plain dotted with cactus of many shades of green clustering sometimes in prickly forests stretching away in two parallel lines to mark a trail arranging themselves in military rows to indicate a pulque hacienda gathering in a hedge about the low flat roof of an adobe homestead here or there rose the unfailing spires and dome of another lonely church in the fields a yoke of oxen ploughing a cornfield seemed scarcely to move the sky above was a vivid blue with puffy white clouds along the horizon sounds drifted up from the world below the mooing of a cow the cackle of a hen the tap of a hammer each very distinct yet so softened by distance that it seemed not to interrupt the silence as though it merely came from a far-away land wherewith one had severed connection then the two tourists came panting up the steps damn those stairs anyway they ought to have a railing on each side eustace blandly suggested an elevator but the sarcasm was lost we'd have one if this was in newburyport we'd have a regular train service out here and we'd put in a modern cafeteria boy but you could make money out of this thing if you had it in the united states you could hire a bunch of irishmen and dress them up like aztecs have a couple of girls doing an indian dance on top charge a fifty cents admission why man you'd clean up a fortune as we started down to catch the evening train back to the taxi-screeching city of mexico babbitt and kennicott were carving their initials on the flat rock atop the pyramid of the sun eight a week drifted past and sunday arrived on that of all days mexico city was most typically mexican the aristocrats paraded themselves in the parks the middle classes went picnicking the peons went to church we strolled out along the avenida madero past the national opera house said to be the handsomest building of its kind on the continent but still with an unfinished dome because one administration had started it and others had neglected to provide funds for its completion beyond it lay the alameda the mexican central park it was a european park quite unlike the palm-grown plazas of the smaller cities but there was the usual mexican band concert 
and the people were renting camp chairs along the shady walks to enjoy the national pastime of seeing and being seen beyond the alameda commenced a wide boulevard the paseo de la reforma typically parisian in its wealth of monuments and lined with handsome embassies and residences leading out to chapultepec a larger and even more charming park with wide expanses of lawn and woodland and lake and meadow surrounding the national palace a squatty fortress-like structure pleasing in its effect of strength and beauty perched upon high cliffs and glimpsed through the treetops as though it hung suspended in the sky the policemen here were clad in mexico's charro costume the costume of the old grandees with short buff jacket skin-tight blue trousers lined with rows of silver buttons flowing red tie huge velvet sombrero and a big gleaming sword an orchestra in similar costume held forth beneath an awning near the lake playing sweetly upon a marvellous combination of guitars mandolins marimbas harps cellos oboes and what not automobiles rolled past along the winding driveway each filled with a bevy of senoritas horsemen rode grandly past dressed also in charro costume and mounted upon the finest steeds in mexico pedestrians idled beside the lake watching the procession and listening to the orchestra with that rare enjoyment of really good music that characterizes peon and aristocrat alike here as in the small town plaza the mexicans were finding a pleasure in their park such as no american ever finds in the parks of the united states here as everywhere in mexico a public garden was not merely a place for the perambulation of baby carriages by nursemaids but an institution of which even society took full advantage having seen the aristocrats in action we caught a trolley out to the floating gardens of xochimilco to discover the middle-class picnickers it was a profanely modern trolley with a no spitting sign and rimmed with lurid posters from which wrigley and colgate peeped out from a conglomeration of spanish and it carried us through streets whose buildings were defaced either by countless advertisements or countless warnings not to post advertisements but presently it left the city behind and raced out through maize fields and maguey fields and dropped us at a quaint little town complete even to cathedral fronted plaza tiny children their arms laden with flowers surrounded us sticking bouquets into our buttonholes and pockets and pleading for a little centavito they were irresistible dressed exactly like their elders in long skirts and mantillas and with the mature air characteristic of mexican children they seemed like little dwarfed adults their voices were caressing and they would retreat whenever we tried to return their bouquets without purchasing ah oh, no senor buy them from me a little centavito no more looking rather like floating gardens ourselves we drifted toward the canals there were the remnants of the great network of waterways that the spanish conquistadores saw when first they entered the valley of mexico in those days before modern progress decreed that the valley should be drained mexico city was a venice upon whose lakes there floated rafts of interlaced twigs covered with rich soil and blossoming with flowers xochimilco was the last survival of the aztec floral paradise and it proved distinctly disappointing 
a barefoot boatman met us holding up a piece of paper upon which was written in english do you want one boat i have a fine boat he led us to a dugout canoe with an awning supported by vine-laced framework and paddled us out through a canal where native women were washing clothes or cleaning chickens under a bridge emblazoned with drink montezuma beer and along a waterway lined with decaying rafts covered with a luxuriant growth of carnations cane eucalyptus and cabbages of which only the last named seemed to be in bloom parties of picnickers drifted past us in large boats each with a table in the centre at which every one was busily eating along the way were restaurants and refreshment rooms each with an orchestra of one fiddle one guitar and one bass drum which started to play at our approach and quit as soon as we passed the bass drummer invariably outspeeding and outdrowning his collaborators the final exhibit at the far end of the canal was the city waterworks we came back to the churches to see the peons at the central docalo or main plaza a rather dusty square with a few bedraggled palm trees where once had stood an aztec pyramid there now stands the famous cathedral of mexico mexicans will inform one that it is the largest and handsomest cathedral in the hemisphere although it is much smaller than the peruvian cathedral and one of the least handsome churches in mexico itself there are really two edifices joined together like the siamese twins each with a facade of elaborately carved gray sandstone against a background of cracked red basalt pierced by many little windows in which repose mildewed green bells this essentially is the church of the common people society attends a more exclusive church on the avenida madero where the women always devout go inside to mass and the men usually agnostic remain at the gate to ogle them as they make their exit there one finds the dim light the subdued air and the solemnity of churches in other lands there is none of it in the cathedral everything in the huge edifice was bright and gaudy and noisy many windows flooded it with light glittering gilt ornamentation was everywhere the priests wore green and yellow robes the choir sang enthusiastically and loudly without evidence of training as though each would outsing his fellows both in volume and speed services were proceeding simultaneously in both halves of the institution and each seemed trying frantically to drown out the other yet this offensive even to one of mediocre taste impressed the peons for whom it was intended they knelt at the door and lighted their candles then they crept forward upon their knees ragged little brown devils unwashed unshaven and unlaundered many of them still a trifle pulkesoden from a fiesta of the night before this noise and display thrilled them as no solemn service could thrill them as they crept forward with arms extended expressions of rapt ecstasy almost ennobled their villainous faces their sins were forgiven to-morrow with that odd mixture of idealism and materialism so characteristic of their race they would start sinning again with a clean conscience these ragged little devils were the pawns of a long series of revolutions to-day while the successful generals rode grandly through chapultepec 
the peons who had won their battles and gained nothing turned to the cathedral for solace one might not believe in their religion but one was forced to admit that they found comfort and certainly they needed it nine to avoid religion as a delicate subject as most writers do is to ignore a most important phase of mexican life in mexico even more than in most parts of latin america the church has been obliged to the regret of many of its own clergymen to sacrifice much of its dignity it came originally to a land which already possessed a religion consisting solely of barbaric rites it was adopted by a people whose conception of things ecclesiastic was limited to the meaningless observance of pagan ceremonials and these people as a whole to-day attend mass and march about in procession without any very definite idea of what the church means in much the same fashion as in days of old they followed their aztec priests even in more intelligent circles the church must cater to a racial mind which concerns itself not with substance but with form and cares little about creed or doctrine so long as it can maintain outward appearances by elaborate ceremony and since the rank and file of the clergy come from the same sort of people the church in mexico has become largely theatrical religion in short caters here to a primitive mind it has many difficulties wherewith to contend because its earliest leaders were gaining such authority among the peons the government placed severe restrictions upon them to-day no foreign priest is allowed to conduct services no native priest may appear upon the street in clerical garb no collections may be taken at mass no church may own its property which the government holds and permits it to use and church bells may ring but one minute out of every hour yet the clergy still has a tremendous hold upon the people it abides by the letter of the law the bells ring for one minute only but they ring loudly and with rapid strokes the churches although no collections are taken are filled with boxes for offerings mexico is covered with chapels and shrines religious holidays number about three hundred and sixty-five a year and the custom of pilgrimage is well established practically the entire population professes the catholic faith of all the many shrines that of guadalupe the patron saint of mexico is the most popular according to legend a poor indian on his way to mass met the virgin mary at this spot and was sent to the bishop with the command that a church should be erected here when the bishop was incredulous the peon brought him a bunch of roses plucked from a barren hillside convinced that a miracle had transpired the bishop erected the church and it became at once so popular that a deluge of miracles swept all over mexico and every other good friar erected a chapel but none has ever rivalled that of guadalupe it is situated only a brief distance from the capital a trolley took eustace and myself there stopping at a small square filled with rude stands under improvised awnings where indians sold soft drinks beads edibles and candles before the square stood a church and a merry-go-round above it reached by a long flight of winding stone steps there stood a small white chapel 
on each step sat a crippled beggar seemingly a poor advertisement for a shrine that purports to heal all ailments yet the mexicans saw no inconsistency in this and no irreverence in the merry-go-round nor in the host of tintype photographers who had set up their stands upon the vestibule of the church many of the indians who pilgrimaged here had come from the farthest ends of the republic making the journey on foot and supporting themselves by plying along the way whatever trade they possessed most of them sold trinkets and were now selling them at the shrine itself the flight of steps was long and steep on certain holidays the faithful were accustomed to ascend it slowly upon their knees in the high altitude it was sufficiently arduous to walk up but the little chapel on the hilltop was white and clean and simple behind it lay a very peaceful fragrant cemetery neatly kept with many flowers one wall was honeycombed with tiny little alcoves where one might rent nichols para restos perpetuidad one hundred dollars permanent niches for corpses at one hundred pesos or niches to be paid for by the year or month with the penalty in case of non-payment of seeing the ancestral bones consigned to the scrap heap but there were graves and tombs as well many of them so handsome as to suggest that even while guadalupe like the cathedral was mainly a peon institution the aristocrats sometimes came here after death descending by another long flight of steps we came to the chapel of the well another small chapel under a big dome of glittering tiles containing a well of curative waters ecstatic peons their faces shining with joy were lowering a bucket and drinking seizing the receptacle from one another's hands in their eagerness at a nearby counter where crosses were sold and ribbons marked with the measure of the virgin's head or feet one might also obtain empty bottles some of them still bearing unhallowed labels and these the natives filled at the well for their fellow villagers at home turning around the corner we came back to the larger church in its cellar was the evidence of the cures effected there was the usual pile of crutches to be seen in all healing shrines the wall was covered with letters of thanks letters accompanied invariably with pictures as though their authors who in their inability to read or write had been forced to dictate their messages to a professional scribe assumed that their benefactor was equally illiterate many of them were from supplicants who could not reach the shrine describing their troubles and begging assistance the illustration showed them being run over by a trolley car shot in battle caught between two colliding steam engines massacred in other startling fashions or confined to a gloomy sick-bed there was one of papa looking out from between prison bars with a note from the family asking the virgin to soften the heart of the magistrate and there was one from a very pretty young girl enclosing her photograph and thanking the virgin with an absence of detail that piqued one's curiosity for having given her what she most desired the writing was frequently illegible the words misspelled and the paintings execrably done by the very worst of artists yet groups of peons surveying them murmured their admiration of the bright colouring and exclaimed aloud with astonishment at the marvellous cures no other church could so satisfy the mexican peon 
10. We came back from Guadalupe to find a uniformed staff officer awaiting us. Old Barlow was entertaining him in our absence. The officer was a young man in neat-fitting blue uniform, and he had keen, sharp features. He wore a little black moustache, like that of the villain from a melodrama. He was suavely polite. Mario Sanchez, aide to His Excellency Venus de Leono Carranza, President of the Republic of Mexico, at your service, senors. We bowed. There was a cool reserve about him that told us he did not expect to be kissed. You are the senores Foster and Eustace, I believe, the author of these newspaper articles that I hear display? We stared in amazement at a sheaf of clippings which he held before us. Our writings had been published. The news of our death, followed by a letter describing our heroic escape from Pedro Zamora, had brought us fame. We were headlined on front pages, and our articles about Mexico had all found a market. We were successful freelance newspaper correspondents. "'But where on earth did you get them?' demanded Eustace incredulously. The officer smiled. My government keeps a careful check upon writers who discuss our administration in the United States, and you have honored us with a request for an interview. It is customary, of course, that such requests come through the American embassy, but in this case we are very pleased that it has not. President Carranza will grant the interview on one condition, that you will tell not the embassy you are coming." "'Tomorrow evening I shall call for you, but you must come with me very quietly to the palace telling no one. I cannot now explain, but it is very important that you tell no one. Until tomorrow evening at the eight o'clock. Adios, senores, I am your humble servant.' With another deep bow he withdrew. We turned mystified to old Barlow. He was strangely nervous. "'Pack your suitcases and beat it,' he advised. I know these devils, polite as they can be, and damned likable, but don't you trust them. You heard him say, tell no one? He'll take you away in a car, and not a soul on earth will ever see you again, or learn what's happened to you. So beat it just as fast as you can. We packed our suitcases. We bade each other farewell. Eustace was determined to go back to Manzanillo and catch a boat to San Francisco. I was determined to go to Veracruz catch a boat for cuba and see something more of latin america before i returned home only one thing was certain the expedition had reached a temporary halt End of chapter eight part two